Good evening, beloved saints. This is Pastor Noor on this Tuesday, the 15th of February. We are delighted you can join us at this uh, time of digging into the ocean of God's Word as we look at Daniel chapter 6. And for a refresher, we will look at the Scripture to help us again um, focus on that powerful living Word of God. And so, uh, I'm just going to quickly read the chapter just to help us. It seemed good to Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps who would be throughout the kingdom. Over them would be three overseers. Daniel was one of them, who would be the ones to whom these satraps would give a report, and the king would not suffer any loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the other overseers and satraps because an outstanding spirit was in him. So the king intended to promote him over the entire kingdom. Then the overseers and satraps kept seeking to find an accusation concerning Daniel with regard to the kingdom. However, they were unable to find an accusation or corruption because he was trustworthy and no neglect of duty or corruption could be found concerning him. Then these men said, we will not find concerning this Daniel any accusation unless we find something against him in the law of his God. Then these overseers and satraps came as a crowd to the king and said this to him, Darius, your majesty, may you live forever. All the overseers of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, advised the king to establish a statue and to ratify a decree that whoever prays a prayer to any god or person for 30 days except to you, your majesty, he will be thrown into the pit of lions. Now, your majesty, please establish a decree and sign the document that cannot be changed in accord with the law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house. It had open windows on its upper story facing Jerusalem. Three times each day he would kneel on his knees and pray and offer praise before his God, just as he had been doing before this. These men came as a crowd and found Daniel praying and seeking favor from his God. Then they came and said to the king concerning the decree, Your Majesty, did you not sign a decree that any man who prays to any god or man for 30 days except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the pit of lions? The king answered, certainly. The matter is like the law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they answered the king Daniel, who is from the exiles of Judah, does not pay attention to you, your majesty, not to the decree that you signed. Instead, three times a day he is praying his prayers. Then the king, when he had heard this matter, was very upset about him, and he set his mind to save Daniel. So until sunset he worked hard to rescue him. 
Then these men came as a crowd to the king and kept saying to the king, Understand, your majesty, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persian that every decree or statue that the king establishes cannot be changed. Then the king spoke, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the pit of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, who you serve, should be whom you serve, uh, continually save you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the pit, and the king sealed it with his signed ring and the, si the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing could be changed with regard to Daniel. Then the king went to his place. He spent the night without food, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then at dawn the king arose in the daylight and hurriedly came to the pit of lions. As he came near the pit, he cried out in a troubled voice. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, your God whom you serve continually, was he able to save you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, Your majesty, may you live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions, and they have not hurt me, because he found me innocent before him. Also before you, your majesty, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very glad and said for Daniel to be brought up from the pit. So Daniel was brought up from the pit and no harm was found in him because he trusted in his God. The king spoke and these men who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the pit of lions. They, their children and their wives, they had not reached to the bottom of the pit where the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in the entire earth, May your peace increase. From me is given an order that throughout my royal domain, people should continually tremble and be afraid before the God of Daniel. For his is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion is eternal. He saves and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth as he saved Daniel from the hand of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is, during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Just kind of a summation of this wonderful record, an account of uh, God that is inspired by Daniel to write for us. Daniel is a just and righteous man. He's doing everything that's proper. Those who were in authority were jealous and did not uh, like him. And so they devised this plan to really bring him down. That's the only reason they wanted to get rid of him. And yet Daniel could have avoided a lot of the pitfalls by closing the doors, or the windows, excuse me, of his upper uh, room and what went on. But nope, he was confident of who he is as God's child and put his hope in God alone. And so when the things came about, you notice what the king, the, the king is not sad for himself, but he's literally sad for Daniel because he said he was sad about him because he knew the command. And even till today, Some people say by the decrees of the Medes and the Persians. Even today, it's still used. It is that concrete. 
But what is really interesting, two factors. Number one, the lions never touched Daniel whatsoever. I mean, it's a Bible story that every Sunday school teacher loves to teach. Every Sunday school teacher loves to teach because it talks about the mighty, powerful God that can shut the lion's mouth. That's number one. But number two, if you paid attention to the end of um, 26, 27, where he gives a decree in all the land that belongs to him. And he had property all the way from Babylon to Israel and beyond. You're talking about 3,000 miles, one direction. And all of those were all under his kingdom. And what does he say? And here is the one thing that I want you. He wants everybody to tremble and be afraid before the God of Daniel. He does not say, my God. And that's a very big point. There's a big difference to talk about Jesus as God or Lord. But he's not, if he's not your Lord and he's not your God, he's just one of the gods among out there. So I think it's very helpful for us to grasp those little nuances that is given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and what is at work right here? So we left at question 25 and the um, question, what would have happened if Darius had not carried out the death sentence? What would have happened had he not carried the sentence? Darius would have probably been thrown in the lion's den. Possible. Uh, He'd take, be taken out of office. He would have been taken out of office because he's not, on, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not honoring the decree that the Medes and the Persians had put to issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because you realize when he put his signet ring on, so did the satraps and the prefects, correct? Yep. So when you think, um, you know, when, when you think um, what he did and how it went about is to say that the law does not matter, which is what's happening in our nation today. The law does not matter. You're in office. You do what you want to do. Whether that's right or wrong, that's not for me. That They'll have to answer to God someday, Right. But when you have a constitution, and if you have, uh, <coughs> you know, if you have a constitution to follow, and so, uh, so you have to understand that uh, this is there for a reason. It's checks and balances, right? And so, it is very important for us that it would not be um, just overlooked. It had to be carried. So. Um, by his own authority, he's nothing, you know. Um, it's kind of what, this is kind of what's happening right here. You remember what happened to Pilate when he wanted to release Jesus, correct? There's a lot of similarities between Darius and Pilate. Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him. He wanted to release him. And how did they trick Pilate to crucify Christ? By saying, if you let him go, you're not a friend of Caesar's, Right? And the relationship with Caesar, because he was just an activity for that. So, and so uh, it's a risky place to be over conquered people when you don't follow the law. You know, 
are our people happy with our nation when the president does not honor the Constitution or the governor does not obey the laws, right? If the speed limit, <coughs> excuse me for a moment here. If the speed limit at the interstate is 80 and the governor, Christy Noam, is driving 100 and they don't give her a ticket and they pick her up more than once, then she's above the law, right? And we, we would say the people, we the people, is she any better than we are? And so here they're not honoring the, um, um, the constitution of the country and... Um, you know, what is, how can this help or hurt or harm the re, uh, relationship? So the next question then, uh, what, in what does Darius place his hope for Daniel? Daniel's God. Bingo. He had... Known that, and here is the reason I, I believe personally why I believe it is so. Daniel was so confident that he would not change his mind. It's kind of like what happened to the disciples, right? They were all gladly gave their lives up. If, according to the Jewish leaders, if the body of Jesus was stolen, right? And you know this, right? Why would they be willing to be crucified, upside down, murdered? Out of all of the apostles, including Paul, every one of them was martyred except John, the, Bapt uh, John, uh, the youngest of them all. He's the only one who was not either beheaded or crucified or cut in pieces or filleted. You know, we talk about persecution today through ISIS, but they had it also during that time. So it is the God, uh, Daniel, um, not Daniel, Darius, had put his hope in God's, in, the, in Daniel's God. That's really um, what it was at stake here. Um, how did Darius make sure no human being would rescue Daniel By putting the seal and the signet ring on the opening of the right. cave uh, or whatever, the den. The den, the lion's den. They, it would have been more like a pit that it was dug and they would have been, I mean, they wouldn't drop the lions. It would be like gates. If you go, she's been with me there. And you remember going to Beichan up in the north, that sea, where that Roman big bath and all of that stuff. They still have the big amphitheater, and you can see the tiny gates where they would release the animals. Hyenas is one, mm. wild dogs, tigers, cougars, and lions. So they used all of these animals. Within seconds, you are dead. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it just depends where they grabbed you. If they got you in your legs, they're just going to chew your legs while you're alive and... You know, so it is, it is very, very important for us to realize how that works and, you know, this situation. Um, how did Darius, okay, we talked about that. Take a look at 
verses 7 and eight, 17 and 18 of what should that remind us about Jesus? Easter morning when they were supposed to have his tomb sealed, but Okay, before Easter morning, though. They put him in the dungeon. Do you remember that? Jesus was put overnight. Because they... So, let's look at the uh, time allotment for the uh, arrest. So, Thursday... Of that week, they were in the upper room. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, instituted the Lord's Supper, right? And gave them the body and blood. From there, they went on to the Mount of Olives, and they sang some hymns. And there he prayed, right? And later on that night, they grabbed him, right? They came with Judas with torches, and Jesus said, Who are you looking for? I said, Jesus. And they all backed away from him. Then they took him by chains, went to Caiaphas's house, and then um, that night they had to make a decision. And so they put him in the dungeon while they called all the 70 leaders, Jewish leaders, the San, what we call the Sanhedrin, which is made of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They all came, including Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, as well as Nicodemus, the one that came in John 3. And so they had to make that decision while he was already in the dungeon. And so they couldn't do anything at night. And this is why, if you've heard the term... That was a kangaroo court. It was rushed, rushed, rushed because they had to wake up everybody. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, um, Mel Gibson does an excellent job of bringing, awaking them because they are asking, now? This is unheard of, okay? And so they bring him and you put him in the dungeon. And I don't know, did you go down to the dungeon? Okay, so there's, there is the place in Caiaphas's home, even till today, where more than likely, I can't say 100% that this is the place, but um, they put him in the dungeon over there. And I remember, you remember Lauren Boyens? Mm -hmm. I had him read uh, Psalm, I think it was 87. He started bawling. <coughs> he started bawling. And we used to be able to shut the lights off, but uh, not my group, another group, there was a young lady, she was just terrified of darkness, the shayat, and she went berserk. From that day, the tourism said, no way, we cannot shut it. So even if you are down in the dungeons now, and it's like a, you know, like a, I suppose, maybe 12 inches in diameter, and maybe 12 inches, uh, not inches, 12 feet in diameter, and 12, sorry. Like, wow. No, 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 <laughs> sorry, my apologies. 12 feet in diameter and maybe about 10 to 12 feet because we do have stairs to go down to it even today that we can see. And so we have that. And so when you look at it, the comparison, it is similar to, um, you know, Daniel. Um, I might also add um, 
Joseph, if you remember, he was put in a dungeon. It was called the prison, right? So there's a lot of similarities. And this is the one thing that ties the scripture together, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. They just connect like hand and glove together. Okay. Uh, what did Darius do all night? What did Darius do all night? Had an anxiety attack. <laughs> he was pacing the floor, right? He was, um, he was just, uh, you know, when you have an innocent man and you're trying to try to do what you think is best. I, I don't know because scripture does not say, I dare not uh, include words here that, but I'm wondering if in that night, uh, Darius was really uh, calling about God to intervene. I don't know, but we are told, you know, that he walked about all night, correct? He just went back and forth to uh, consider that. And you have to see it from his perspective, okay? And what is the perspective of this king? So we'll, we'll pause there for a minute as we look at this. But what do you um, think is the perspective on that? He obviously felt helpless, you know, that there was... But, why, but why? Why is he helpless? Well, we know it's because God is going to show him that he can do anything. Correct. But in his eyes... You are so close, is. I can see it. <laughs> Cassie, help me out. <coughs> Have, has anyone ever came out alive from, from a lion's den? So the king knows this is his execution. He signed Daniel's execution. And he is an in, and he knows he's an innocent man. Okay, um, you know. And so, in that regard, you, the king can't rescue him. And uh, the accusers can't kill him, you know. If the lion don't, they can't do anything to him. Um, so he, he abides with his own degree. He doesn't like it. Uh, and then that night, he was just troubled that his trusted advisor is going to be butchered, mauled, maimed, maybe nothing by morning. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where someone condemns somebody and they know they are innocent, and yet they still condemn him. I know, I know it's a movie, but you can see the anguish and the pain. If we were able... To, if we were able to see um, Darius's face, I would tend to say, I mean, she said it early, nervous breakdown, but the anxiety will be all over. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. Get away from me. You know, you're just over-consumed 
with how could I? My hands are tied. How do I do this? I think that's that is really um, that I think is such an important aspect. If you can put yourself in that person and to see what is going on, how are his emotions, what what is happening to his heart, what is his blood pressure like, you know, and when you think of that, you see the difference between somebody who walks with God and somebody who doesn't walk with God, okay? Like, I'll switch just for a moment about personal life here. So when we were buying the house, the real estate said, uh, Pastor Noor, what if you don't get it? I said, I'm okay. I'm happy. I I said, um, uh, if the Lord opens the door for us to buy the house, all glory be to God. If the Lord does not allow us to buy the house, all glory be to God. He says, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) If I bought it, fine. If it didn't come to fruition, fine. And I says, uh, Justin, do you know what Romans 8.28? Help me, pastor. (laughs) Okay. I says, well, we know that God works in every situation. And so, regardless of that. So, it, it is really helpful for us to understand that the king is in a very tough spot. In a place... He wants to help, but he cannot help. So he honors the decree and relies on God's mercy. And that's really what is so beautiful when we come to the next <coughs> one. Um, you know, excuse me. Uh, in the next one, we see what he does. Um, so we do know that he was walking, so we talked about what did he not have brought before him? You can look at the text. Daniel himself? Huh? Daniel himself? No. Normally, in the evenings, there'll be dancing, food, merriment. So he abstains from any and all of these things. Why? Because his mind is not on pleasure. He is considering the execution that's going to take place from a very trusted advisor and friend. We were told through scripture that uh, Daniel proved himself trustworthy, correct? So he proved himself one who's doing it. And so, uh, um, so it is important for us to realize this. Um, and with that question that, I added, um, 
What did they, what did he not have brought before him? What did Jesus' disciples do while he was in the tomb? So we talked about what did Daniel, uh, I mean Darius do. Now what did Jesus' disciples do while he was in the tomb? That should not be very hard for you guys. It's not that hard. You, you guys have been going to church all your life. Think of the Easter story. You aren't going to flunk. It's not a test. <laughs> they were all in hiding. Right? Every single one of them, why were they in hiding? They don't want to be put to death, right? And if you think of the scripture, uh, Peter, for example, before the crucifixion and before Jesus' arrest, was so arrogant and so boastful. I will never, what? Deny, right? I will die for you, right? But when the rubber hit the road, what happened? He hightailed it out of there, right? Three times he denied him because, oh, I've seen you. You were one of them, one of him. And your accent, so. Um, so it's very helpful for us. Now, the next question is really beautiful, and especially for me, since I'm a student of the Old Testament more so than the New Testament. What is Darius' question when he arrives at the den of lions at daybreak? And I want you to underline the word daybreak. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Okay, so that's the question, right? Mm -hmm. At what time... And this is where your eyes are going to open and your ears and your hair is going to stand on your neck. The daybreak. What's the emphasis on daybreak? Because this sentence has been served and so he was doing it as quickly as he could, you know. Okay. Granted. Uh, primarily, all of the salvation accounts occur at daybreak. Mm. Let's walk through. The splitting of the Red Sea where the Israelites walked through, it's at daybreak. Mm. When did Jesus rise from the grave? Daybreak. At daybreak. When uh, did Joshua uh, win the victory? At daybreak. When did David win the victory? At daybreaks. Salvation activity happens at daybreak. I should get up and watch it more often. That's right. <laughs> but it really is. Biblically speaking, daybreak is the salvation act of God because he's the light of the world. And so uh, it is very helpful for us. Um, that is really, really an amazing way to consider the goodness of God and how he brings the salvation story to fruition, okay? And so this is why I wanted you to underline the word daybreak. 
And if you spend studies uh, through scripture, you will notice how often at daybreak God does mighty acts of deliverance at daybreak, right in the opening of the day. And of course, you can connect that with the greatest daybreak episode salvation when Jesus rose from the grave victoriously. What does Darius call God that no other non-Jew calls him throughout the Bible? What does he call him that is no one else before had asked? Living God. Okay, anybody else? Yeah, Um, if you look at the text, the king said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of what? The living God. The living. All the gods they had were man-made. Okay? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Patsy will remember this one. We unfulfill it by Caesarea up on the top. Okay. So Matthew 16, verse 13. <coughs> Matthew 16, verse 13. I'll wait till you get there. Are you there? All right. So now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's way up in the north, okay? From my home, probably about three hours driving. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Notice Peter's response, please. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And now you have a heathen who is saying the living God. And Patsy, do you remember the place? There's about 400 deity etched and carved into the stone. And in that location, in all of this background, Jesus asked the question, who do people say I am? And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. As a matter of fact, when uh, Pastor Sadgas, the former district president of our church body, of the South Dakota district, went with me on the tour, and we we went in May, and this was an August reading for that time. And so I called Pastor Sadgas, Sunday morning of that same day when the text was going to be, I says, I bet I know what your sermon title is going to be about. He says, take a guess, the living God. He says, you got it. Because everywhere you look, there were etched in stone or wood. 
And this is the emphasis, that word, the living God, connects very well. And look at what uh, Jesus responded. And Jesus answered him in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barajona. Now he uses the Hebrew name, Shimon Barajona. Uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So it's an intervention by God. And so when you think of that, that emphasis of the, um, the living God is such a profound statement that really helps us, um, you know, to realize that he is the God of, of the living, right? And so um, there is an appearance that Darius is putting his hope in this God who's living compared to the others. And however small that hope is, uh, so it is so important for us to realize the magnificent of that statement, living God, or the living word, or the active word, because our God is what? Active all the time, right? So he's living, right? He speaks, and things happen. So that's, that's very important for <coughs> us. So, and then the next question that we have um, how does Daniel say he was delivered, who previously had been delivered by an angel? Why does Daniel state that he was delivered? So you have an opportunity to speak here. Take your time, no big hurry. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Mm-hmm. Who else was um, delivered? Think of the Egyptians, right? The angel of the Lord went before them, correct? When they talk about the angel of the Lord, normally we talk about Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, because in Genesis, uh, in Exodus uh, 14, 13, he says, behold Yeshua, or behold um, Jesus. Do you want something for your throat? I got something in my office. No, I'm okay. good. 
I'm just a little chilly. I know. I asked Patsy the same thing today when I uh, came in. I said, my office is normally warm. So anyway, uh, so we do know that angels have always played a role in the lives of people. Okay. Um, God always uses angels to deliver messages and protect people throughout all of Scripture. There's way too many to mention, but the, the biggest one that I would think of right off the bat is um, in um, Genesis, primarily, uh, you think of all of the events that had taken place. You think of um, when... Uh, Lot and his daughters were taken. Who held the people back, right? There's multitude of uh, places where it is uh, talked about, okay? What notes does Darius make as to why Daniel was de uh, delivered in accordance to verse 23? What would that be? You can think of. Because he trusted in his God. Okay. He was glad and took it, taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Very good. I'm glad you have the Bible in front of you. So, <laughs> what note does, well, <laughs> hey, but isn't that helpful for us? Yes. Um, what note does Darius make as to why Daniel was delivered? It's because he trusted in his God. God never disappoints. God never, ever, ever disappoints. And what is interesting is that, uh, you know, I'm not a perfect pastor by any means, so please, I, I don't want to be praising myself in any manner here. But people realize when you have hope and trust in something outside of yourself. You know, like you've heard me say this, Michelle, you, I've been your pastor for almost six years now. When I had my open heart, I said to my congregation back in Armour, if I live... It's good news. If I die, it's good news. Because I said, I have two J's. If I die, I, be, I will be with Jesus. And if I live, I'll be with Gene. I'll be a winner either way, right? You can't lose. And this is why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The problem is, our focus is so much on earth, we don't have time to think about heaven. Our focus is, how do I make money? How do I make this trip? How do I go here? How do I do... How often do we really sit back and ponder, Lord, how soon will I see you? When will you come and get me? Or like the country western song, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but not tonight. You've heard that before, right? Now, granted, 
it may be facetious or whatever, but the idea that um, heaven is my home, and we, we sing that in the hymns, but we don't live with eyes literally focused on heaven. And we are cumbered by the earthly things that entangle us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm, I'm not condemning anybody. It's just because we are so fallen by sin that um, our focus is not really on God per se. We focus on what do I have to do today? You have three children, right? You've got to feed them. You've got to make sure there's food, there's clothing to wear, school to get done, all of these things. But at what point in that day, the, the thought of being <coughs> transported from earth to heaven, Lord, I just want to hear your voice. Lord, let me see your face. Blessed Jesus, take me out of this miserable world, right? I just read a comment that I thought was so profound. He say, we on earth have it backward. I don't know if I'm brave enough to say it in a funeral, but maybe I will someday. It says, we have it backward. When a baby is born, we rejoice and we laugh. And when somebody dies, we weep and mourn, right? Which is true. But when you think that this boy or this girl that's born is destined for the clock ticking to die. I mean, every child goes through this. That's number one. On the other hand, that person who has fallen asleep in Jesus, they are basking in the glory of God. So this is why uh, for Daniel to trust God He's walking humbly before him, and he says, put me in the lion's den. I'm fine. If I'm eaten, guess what I'm going to be? Of course, we don't want to do that, right? Who wants to suffer? And that's the one thing that I've noticed here more than in my culture. For example, here when there's a funeral, they have everybody decorated so beautifully, makeup, the best clothes, jewelry, and then flowers everywhere. In my country, we don't do that. You just, if they're not shaved, that's how they go in the casket. There is hardly, I don't think they bring flowers. They bring, um, what do you do for Christmas? Wreath, wreath. We have a lot of uh, pine wreath. Mm -hmm. So they just put from the family off, you know. So they do that. But, the flowers that began to be used here is used to drown the smell mm. and the stench. And when my mother passed away and I went back home, it took six bottles of the most expensive perfume just to kill the stench because they don't do any embalming. And it reeked, I mean it, my eyes watered. But From how many days? Uh, well, they put her, mother passed away on Saturday, and I left Sunday after church, so they put her in the cooler, you know, not frozen, but just in the cooler, while your body's decaying, even in the cooler. And so I arrived there, left Sunday, I arrived there, 
24 hours. So probably Tuesday morning their time. See, uh, I got the call at 10 after 3, 10 after 2, uh, when my mom passed away on a Saturday. They had a wedding to do. And then uh, I left immediately after church. I, nobody knew that my mom passed away till after I got done and we started praying. Then I cried, but then I said, please forgive me, I need to go home. And I got home, I left uh, Sunday afternoon and I got there. It'll take 24 hours by the time. So you did church service on that Sunday and nobody even knew? Wow. I, didn't, I didn't say a single thing. I did not want to take away from the gospel proclamation because hmm. it isn't about me. Hmm. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. That's all it is. Hmm. I'm just a servant. And when we got to the prayers, that's when I choked up. Hmm. You know, because I pray for families here where death of loved ones, but at that moment. So anyway, uh, let's stop right here. We will pick it up at uh, question 33 and I think we will be able to finish that next time uh, the only dilemma is I will not be here next Tuesday because I will be in Santa Fe New Mexico and so we will pick her up with verse question 33 okay all right let's close with the word of prayer holy father gracious God thank you for your word it's forever living and changing our hearts to cause us to repent and to put our trust in you. Be with your servant, Michelle, Lord. Touch her with your loving and healing hands and grant us all safety as we head home. To that end we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, now we have to remind me.